Today, I'm a guest on my friend Mary Jo Ehrman's podcast, Farming Without the Bank. Now, her and I are friends. We go back a long time. She's a practitioner at the Nelson Nash Institute, and we frankly had fun reminiscing and catching up. Hope you enjoy listening. Thank you. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the podcast. Thank you very much for being here. I appreciate it as always. You know the routine. If you're like Chris and you don't want me to tell you to buy the book, fast forward 30 seconds. Buy the book if you haven't got the book. Farmingwithoutthebank.com or withoutthebank.com. Today, I am so excited. I am sure you guys who listen to James Nethery have heard me on James's podcast, but today I have the pleasure of James on my podcast. The only difference is he did not fly to the tundra to see me. <laughs> he is not stupid. James is not stupid. <laughs> he knows his limitations. So we are going to talk to James today. And here's the thing. If you do not know James Nethery, he is another infinite banking um, practitioner, but he has been in this game much longer than I have. And he is one of the practitioners that I look up to because he got to spend a lot of time with Nelson and he has done, he got to study a lot more under Nelson so I wanted to bring him on because I think there's a lot of value here that you guys all need to hear. So thank you, James. No, you're welcome. Thank you. I thought it was because you love me, Mary Jo. I mean, <laughs> you know, no, I'm happy to be here in the in the uh, it's like 75 degrees outside where I'm at. So I'm happy to be inside here. But no, I'm happy to be on your uh, on your podcast, Mary Jo. I enjoyed when uh, you came down here and I had fun and. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. So let's talk about Nelson. Now, I had we had talked last week in, in preparation a little bit. Neither one of us are good preparers, but I did prepare a little bit. And so I really feel like and, you know, this is I think it's very common or there's not a lot of practitioners. It's not common. Let's just talk about the fact that there's not a lot of practitioners, James, that got to spend the amount of time with Nelson that you did. Because you were very close to Nelson as far as proximity goes, right? Uh, so, yeah. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I think that there's a lot there to be shared that a lot of people don't know about, don't hear about. So I want to expose it. Well, I don't know how much I can share that people don't know. I mean, uh, I had the pleasure of uh, hanging out with Nelson. I, I literally tried to be his water boy for like 16 years or so, you know. Whenever I first learned of uh, the infinite banking concept, it was because I was listening to different speakers at an event, and one of them referenced his book, so I bought all the books that they referenced at that event, and I took them home, and his was the thinnest book in the stack, so I thought, man, I can finish that one. Easy, you know, to read, big print, lots of illustrations, 92 pages, and you know, Mary Jo, I read the book that night and I called the phone number on the back of the book the next morning and I didn't expect Nelson to answer, but he did. We had a lovely conversation and it ended up with uh, something along the lines of, boy, I hold these 10-hour seminars all over the country and you need to get yourself to one. So I did. And uh, an agent was hosting him and she allowed me to attend. I sat in the back of the room, took notes and... You know, changed my life, changed uh, everything that we were doing personally with life insurance, and it changed um, my practice, you know, and it's touched, he's touched, his work has touched an awful lot of uh, our clients and, you know, changed their lives more than one or two generations. So it's a really big deal for me, very powerful. Um, and then, too, you know, we hosted him two or three times a year for about, uh, 10 or 12, 14 years. And, you know, every time I'd listen to the man and I even went, traveled other places to hear him, you know, when you host an event, it's a little bit different than attending an event, but I still listened and I took notes every time and I have uh, books full of notes. I heard something new every time almost, or would, you know, the things that I'd heard previously, you know, would be reaffirmed and my thinking would be straightened out and, so I kept hosting him and I kept attending 
and it was, uh, like I said, life-changing. It was a beautiful thing. I remember when I had him in Bismarck. <laughs> I mean, I was, I don't know, probably seven years into this, and he was talking about the tailwind. And I'm like, oh, I get it now. <laughs> I'm a little bit slow. But I did not, I had a hard time understanding his analogies. And so you have to very much always, you had to always be listening to him. But here are the things that, and I don't know, maybe you were able to visit with him about certain things, but there are a lot of things that are happening within IBC, right? Everyone's like, oh, I got an IBC policy. And I see this a lot online. Oh, I got an IBC policy with X company. Is that, is it right? I don't, I don't know what's right, right? And so everybody wants to make everything, is it structured right? Is it with the right company? And I'm like, oh my gosh, the company does not matter. It's the agent that matters. And then we have this stuff. Here's the big one that I'm trying to get to is he said, your premiums need to equal your income. Did you ever sit? I never actually sat down and said, Nelson, what does that mean? Are you doing it? Because at the end of the book, he says it's going to take you a lifetime to get there. But we just don't obviously read the end of the book. And so did you ever outright ask Nelson? What does that mean? How do you do <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> I did ask him um, one time, how? I said, Nelson, how can premium, you know, equal income? And he said, well, James, he said, premium should exceed or, in, you know, premium should exceed your income. And then I'm like, and I just wanted a straight answer to the one question. And now, and I'm like, well, how is, how is that? He said, uh, when you have your dividend paid to your PUA, is that additional premium to the policy? I said, yeah. He said, now, it won't be long before your premium, the, the, uh, the dividends and the, the internal you know, accumulation of that policy is going to far exceed the premium you're paying. I mean, he didn't really get into that far, but I'm just telling you, he, he, said, he said, your premium should exceed your income. And I said, how? And he said, well, what is the dividend when it's applied to the PUA? Is that premium? I said, yes. And he said, I and that is case. not, he is calling it income, but it is not money that I am punching a clock for that is coming in and buying groceries. And I think people need, that is so important that people need to understand. But that. we weren't talking about income. We were talking about premium. You know, if I make a hundred thousand a year and or whatever my income is, is my income. You know, how do I get my income to even approach the premium, right? Right. And, and, it's, and it's already, you know, 25 years uh, or so before your premium can, can equal your income. He, he said your premium should exceed your income. So and my point here is he was just expanding my mind. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm asking him, how do you even do this? And he said, well, think about it. It's like, what is that dividend? Is that premium? Right. I'm like, yep, yep. Yeah. So, but it makes sense. I'm so many agents are trying to go above and beyond that. Right. That every, run every dollar, your McDonald's fries should be bought through oh, a loan yeah. on the policy. Like, yeah. that's what I'm saying. Is that ne we're Nelson? I don't believe Nelson ever. Yeah, Nelson never, to me, advocated or encouraged that you should finance your groceries, right. you know, through a through a life insurance policy. And at the end of the day, you know, the a loan from a life insurance company they're fulfilled by policy owner service representatives. They don't have a loan department. You know, they don't have a drive through window, right? right. So. Um, even if you live in the same town that the life insurance company is at, they're going to side eye you when you walk into their, you know, for you're, you're not getting past the security guards. I'm just saying. Yeah. Um, no. I, Can you also then talk about the question of, oh, is that company great? That, that company, is that, is that a good company to write with and share with us? a little bit about what Nelson did with companies. Cause I think a lot of people don't understand what Nelson did with life insurance companies. Well, Nelson, you know, owned direct recognition and non-direct recognition policies. And he didn't really spend a lot of time on the differentiation of that. You know, he, 
he believed that you should own a mutual uh, company, you know, a policy with a mutual company. There's no question about that. But he thought your actions, the actions of the owner of the policy, the banker, you know, would, uh, it is what was important, right? And, and like you said earlier, I think it's important to work with an educated agent or advisor. In my opinion, an educated consumer and an educated agent, that's where success is, right? Um, I personally prefer, and I know you're not asking, I'm just telling you, right? I prefer a non-direct recognition company, right? I prefer a mutual company. And, and at the end of the day, you know, if I lived in Europe, in the UK, there are no mutual companies left. In Australia, you know, you go to Africa, Europe, there are no mutual companies, but there are life insurance companies over there. You give them enough time, the regulators, you give the regulators enough time and they will get away uh, from the cash value. So I'm just saying that you maybe have access to a stock company in the UK. Well, something's better than nothing, in my opinion. I mean, I so I prefer a... Uh, non-direct recognition company and and absolutely a mutual company. We're blessed to live in America, in my opinion, on many levels, but we have the best life insurance companies in the world right here in North America. You know, so. Uh, but but Nelson, Nelson went in and actually taught these companies what they could do with policies. Right? Yeah, you know, yeah, he, he's uh, shared a couple of times with me that, uh, you know, he would go to some of these New York companies and, you know, and he would uh, talk with them and they'd bring in the president, the vice president, all the attorneys, the actuaries and the investment gurus and the probably the out, the attorneys outnumbered all, everyone else at the table, you know, and, and uh, then they would ask questions about compliance, you know, can we get this through compliance and you know, never, never talk to him again. You know, they, how do you, they already think they know everything. Listen, um, you know, I get darts from both sides, you know, some people love me, some people don't, which is okay. I love everyone, but the home office, uh, the home offices of these life insurance company, there's no one in the home office that came up with this idea that you could become your own banker. Most of them still look at it today. Like it's a marketing, uh, thing you know just another another way to market life insurance when okay there's a lot of that going on you go out there on tiktok and youtube and everywhere else on social media and there's a lot of people marketing life insurance i'll grant them that but they're not teaching the uh, infinite banking concept they're not showing people how to become their own banker you know just because you can drag somebody through underwriting and get a life insurance policy and force on them pay a little premium therefore you have a little cash value and then you go uh, leverage that cash value to the hilt. That's not banking, you know, but their contractual rights that you have as a policyholder, the loan provision, you have a contractual right to borrow, you know, against that policy. So um, he, and then other home offices loved him. You know, there's a couple of companies out there today that they love Nelson. They know exactly who he was. They, they know they've read his book. They understand, you know, what the infinite banking concept is. Um, but there's an awful lot of them old line New York Life company, or I don't want to say New York Life, just the New York companies that, uh, frankly, I don't, I think a couple of things, Mary Jo. Number one, I think they're a little, uh, uh, I don't, maybe angry that they didn't come up with this fabulous idea that <laughs> life insurance has all the characteristics that one needs for private financing. And then, um, maybe they don't want the policy owner to exercise that right. Maybe they don't want right. the policy owner to collateralize those cash values, right? Yeah. Um, who knows? It's like your bank. How much money does your bank want you to deposit with them? Mm-hmm. All of it. Yep. And then how much do they want to lend you? Yep. You know, anyway, no, I think some of, of that right. exists out there in the life insurance world. Yeah. And I think that, you know, and then you have those companies that are, are made, they're not making it hard for their agents, to be honest, but they're saying, hey, you know what, if your policy, if, if you take a loan on this policy, we're not giving you renewal commission. And so you're going to have to find an uber honest <laughs> agent that's going to say, oh, yeah, loan against all the policies I have written. 
and everybody take a full loan and then I give up renewal commission. I mean, a, a you know, a good person would do that. Uh, somebody that needs the money to live isn't going to do that. And so I'm not going to judge the agent by that. But the companies are penalizing their agents because they don't want a loan. Well, if the company doesn't want a loan on that policy, then we should probably be asking why the company doesn't want a loan on the policy. Mm. Or what are they not understanding? Because I remember Nelson telling me that, well, some companies look at it as an asset. Some companies look at it as a liability. And if we're looking at it as a liability, they don't want all those loans. Or are they not managing their books of business or their financials, not books of business? Are they not managing their financials well enough that a loan on a policy is scary because we need the money for things that we've maybe mismanaged versus giving it to the policyholders, right? Same thing as a bank, not releasing collateral. Why aren't you releasing collateral? Mm, did you overlend? Mm-hmm. Like, it makes me wonder why a life insurance pol- life insurance company is going to not want to lend money because in the contract it says it's yours so it says you doesn't have make right. a lot of sense yeah you know yeah. the uh loans especially early loans are and i'm not uh, you know i'm married to my wife i'm not married to these life insurance companies but i understand how it can be difficult financially on a life insurance company to take early policy loans i get that and okay so I acknowledge that, but just, you know, to, to, to what you're saying, it's like, how are you running your portfolio? Mm-hmm. You know, if we're here, we are coming out of the lowest interest rate environment ever, you know, a five, five and a half, six, seven, eight, nine percent policy loan was a pretty dang good return for a life insurance company who couldn't go out and get four or five percent on a bond. Mm-hmm. Right. So uh, now, um, like I said, you know, we're coming out of that interest rate environment well okay well they're going to raise their loan interest rates anyway the life insurance mm-hmm. companies mm-hmm. so you know i'm with you of course you know the regulators may look at the life insurance companies a little differently too i i don't um i mean i've heard the various companies say they don't want to do first year loans and they'll they'll not pay a commission or they'll do whatever and at the end of the day i i, I don't really care what the life insurance company does as long as they're well run you know as long as yep. They have a well-run, you know, portfolio distribution system and proper commission structure. And um, I I don't care. Other than that, you know, just let me go do what I want to do anyway, Uh which is control the banking function as it relates to me and my life. Mm -hmm. But I don't really I don't feel sorry for them. You know that the uh, people that are practicing the infinite banking concept, they're actually repaying loans. Right, so that's a great asset or revenue for the life insurance company. So the I don't- people that are practicing with a good agent, James, the people that don't have good agents that don't truly understand infinite banking, I believe a hundred percent may not be repaying. You know, you or they you- just, or it's a, or it's not a client that puts the time and effort in to understand it. They read a book one time and they said, oh yeah, this is fantastic. I mean, I can attest to that having a client that paid full premium every year, took a full loan and never repaid it. Well, this isn't free money. When did I ever say it was free money? Right. Right. I mean, I'm an agent that teach it, that preaches, pay it back, but you are a shitty banker. Like I can't change that fact because you didn't repay anything. It's not there for to be free. You actually stole money from your company and you think that that's how you were acting and you think that that's a good idea. And so you have to have that balance of a good agent that understands infinite banking. Like it's amazing to me when I see people say, and they say it all the time that, oh, I got infinite banking policy. I got infinite banking policy. And they've never read Nelson's book. The agents never read Nelson's book. I have, and I'm sure you have the same thing. Agents text you or email you and they're like, oh, I want to teach infinite banking. And I'm like, oh, great. Have you read Nelson's book? And they're like, who's Nelson? You bought my book and you don't know who Nelson is? (laughs) Let's put the brakes on here. We have a little bit of an issue, right? And so Nelson is trying to, Nelson was trying to teach the companies this. And he is the founder of the concept. 
unless I am wrong, James, he is the only one that exposed this. And now everybody is coming out and saying, well, we have bank on yourself. We have cash value banking. We have family banking. We've renamed it a million times. But at the end of the day, if we go back in history and look at who founded it, what was the underlying reason for IBC and how did he want it to be taught? And it wasn't the reason that NNI exists the Nelson Nash Institute, the reason that you and I both are licensed practitioners is because we want to uphold what Nelson started. That's it. It's that simple. There are so many people out there that think it's a waste. It is not a waste when you understand what Nelson was trying to accomplish and people have forgotten that. They just want to sell life insurance. But he said, my book is not there to sell life insurance. It's there to teach you how to be a banker. Yeah. I, you know, the, I see more and more, you know, not, I'm aware of it. it the, the, I call it noise, you know, and mm-hmm. people uh, rename it. And, you know, back in the day, I would always hear, well, yeah, my grandfather did this or my dad did this or like, no, there's been, it's very easy to get a license to sell life insurance. So, you know, I'll grant that a lot of people have had a license to sell life insurance and to be a life insurance agent. And then if you have cash value, that policy has a loan provision. So granted that in the past, People would leverage their life insurance cash values because, oh, I don't know, Americans uh, put an awful lot of money into life insurance policies. You know, you go back prior to the 60s and the 30s, 40s and 50s, prior to the mutual funds, you know, in the 401k. But, um, you know, bringing it forward today, you, you know, and I get calls, I get emails, I get texts, people send me links to different videos. And James, is this right? Or is that right? Or can you believe they're saying this? Or can you believe that they're saying that? And, you know, and what I see, these people don't even know life insurance, number one, an awful lot of them. And they sure have not read Nelson's book, Becoming Your Own Banker. And they mm-hmm. sure have not read his second book, Building a Royal House of Wealth. Mm-hmm. And they sure have not purchased and spent six and a half hours watching his DVD, watching Nelson Nash himself give a presentation. Um, and, and it looks to me like they're not doing anything but marketing life insurance. And then, yeah. you know, the latest one I've seen or – one of the latest ones I've seen was, you know, I think it was on YouTube and the graphic or maybe the guy said it. He said, you, we will beat anybody's numbers, period. So he's telling you that he's going to he's going to massage the numbers on the life insurance illustration to make that illustration that he produces look better than whatever the consumer is looking at without any education or knowledge of what's going on or what goes on behind the numbers of the illustration. Mm -hmm. And they could care less in my opinion, or they wouldn't do it. Mm -hmm. And it's not all about the numbers because if you, if you studied under Nelson, he would be, I, I picked him up from the airport and from the airport to the hotel I thought I was going to get whipped because he said, and if you're showing them an illustration in the first meeting, Mary Jo, and I thought, oh, my God, I do. Like, (laughs) this is not, he's like, it is not a tool. They need to understand the concept. And so it truly is like, I know you and I can get pretty passionate on our podcast. And I'm not going to say angry, passionate about IBC. And the reason that we are is because we knew Nelson. He never talked about rates of return at seminars. He never talked about rates of returns in his 10 hour course. And if he did, I don't, it was very, very little because I don't remember it. He didn't talk about numbers. He talked about banking. He talked about the Federal Reserve. He talked about Austrian economics. He talked about fixing a problem, not And the insurance was just the tool to fix that problem. And so we don't have like, and that was another question I had for you today is just touching on the rate of return. What do you 
So many clients will talk about, oh, what's my IRR? What's my ROR? I don't care. I don't know. Like, I just flat out say, I don't know. It's not about that. And so because people have listened to enough of my podcasts where I rant about it, they don't even ask. Or if they do ask, they're like, don't yell at me. <laughs> well, I was just wondering. And so how do you as a practitioner address that question? Um, you know, basically, you know, I say it like this. Once the solution is put together, you know, whatever the client prospective client needs is trying to do wanting to do uh and an illustration is built you know the solution is whether it's one illustration or multiple illustrations it depends on you know the family the whole situation um, before we ever get to an illustration you know the 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 path is laid out you know the solution okay. if you if we do this we can expect this and you know this is how you finance this and this is how you finance that and this is you know how you take passive income in retirement or whatever it is yeah um, I mean, once an illustration is built, you can calculate an internal rate of return all day long, right? That's mm-hmm. simple math, right? And then you can do the tax equivalent yield. And then we have to go down that road of uh, financial planning. Um, you know, we're going to go to the financial planner and we're going to sit down and talk about arbitrary numbers. You know, when are you going to retire? I don't know. You know, how much are you going to earn? What's the rate of return on your portfolio between now and the time you retire? I don't know. How about after you retire? I don't know. How long are you going to live? I don't know. But we all got to just, we got to decide on these arbitrary numbers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, like I said, you can calculate the internal rate of return, you know, after an illustration's built. And, and once an illustration's built, it's wrong because dividends go up, dividends go down. You know, you have human action. Are you going to repay the loan? Are you going to, are you going to fully pay the premium? Are you going to, you know, fully, uh, pay the PUA premium? Are you going to reduce the premium? Are you going to premium offset, which make the policy pay its own premium from values? Are you going to RPU, reduce paid up? If so, when? You know, all of these things are unknown. The whole future is unknown. There's, you cannot know the future, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but we can calculate a rate of return on a static page of numbers, no question. And that's all it is at that point in time. Right. If we build an illustration, take a picture and build a great big spreadsheet off of that and and then go sell it to the unsuspecting consumer, you know, it's like shame on you. Uh, Mm -hmm. But we can calculate a rate of return. So that's really the way I address rates of returns. You know, we can calculate a rate of return all day long. But what about this? What if, you know, when are your children going to go to college? Are you going to finance them? Are you going to finance this car, that car, the next car? You know, a trip around the world or um, what are you what are you going to finance? The fact is you finance everything you purchase anyway. Right. You either. And it's the unseen. Nelson talked about the yeah. seen and the unseen. What are you going to do in the unseen for your rate of return? Exactly. You know? exactly. If you have a what and and. <laughs> You know, Wade and my friend Wade always talks about the fact that Nelson said that illustrations are lies, lies and lies. (laughs) (laughs) That is all they are, because you don't what happens after that illustration is run. Who know? I mean, we don't know. Is the insurance company going to increase dividends? Are they going to decrease dividends? Is everything going to go as planned? And they're going to get pretty darn close. But it's not ever going to be exact on the non-guaranteed side of things. But it is a lot of, you know, I I guess when people ask me, well, what's the rate of return? I'm like, I don't know. It's not about rates of return. What are you going to do with that money to create cash flow? What are you going to do outside the policy? Because if you didn't study infinite banking, if you didn't study from Nelson, all you're looking at are rates of return and trying to compare it to an investment. And it's not an yeah. investment. It doesn't, it shouldn't be prepared, compared. It is its own. It, you can, if you want, I had a guy say to me one time, well, I'm making 10% in the market. Why would I, why would I put that money into life insurance? I'm like, what if you can make 14? What if you can make 13? Well, how am I going to do that? I said, just borrow from, borrow against the policy and put it in the investments and make 10. Oh, like it's an and asset but because you don't understand it and you've never had anybody understand it for you you just you need the teacher right yeah and nelson was a teacher he wasn't he didn't even hold his he didn't sell any life insurance towards the end because he just wanted to teach he wanted people to understand what it was 
Yeah. When he printed his book in 2000, he quit writing life insurance for new clients outside of his family. But, you know, today, Mary Jo, it's like I see a lot of, and and granted, you know, life insurance is an and asset. There's no question about that. Um, I see a lot of promotion that, that, you know, I got to go buy real estate or I've got to go do something, Mm -hmm. you know, really like the more complicated it is, maybe the more valuable it can be presented, mm-hmm. you know, but I've got to go do something else like the life insurance cash values isn't good enough. You know, I don't, I just need to go do something else to make it better. And, and it may be the case for some people, right? Um, but life insurance does pretty well when it's designed, you know, for the, for the benefit of the owner, um, it could do very well over one's lifetime. And then opportunities are attracted to capital. If you pile up mm-hmm. capital, they're going to attract opportunity. The capital attracts the opportunities. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the investment world has it bass backwards today. They say, oh, well, here's Wall Street. You know, we're going to create an opportunity to attract your capital, right? No. No, no, because we're going to make a profit off of it. You're going to own it. We're going to make a profit, manage it, and then we're going to crash it and short it and make a profit off of that, and then we're going to do it all again. No, no, no. I'm accumulating capital, right? The capital formation comes first, right? Then the capital attracts the opportunity. You don't have to go out and seek all these things, uh, in my opinion. I'm, you know, my humble opinion. It's like, and then you're financing anyway. You know, what the college education cost your children, your grandchildren, all those cars you're driving, all those tractors you're driving, all that farm equipment you're driving, all that business equipment. You know, the the, the guy who has a contract to do the snow plows on all these airports across the country. I'm not saying there's only one. There's many of them. You know what that equipment costs? I mean, what does a combine cost today, Mary Jo? 600 <laughs> I mean, oh, my gosh. Right. And so yep. you want to. You want me to go out and, and, and find a bunch of real estate while I'm paying the bank and they're controlling all of that? And what kind of interest are they making on that combine? Oh, wait, and you're going to need more than one, right? Mm-hmm. And then you're going to drive them until they wear out and then you got to replace the motors and all the parts and that stuff isn't cheap either. Anyway, I'm just yeah. saying. And if you, here's my thing that I'm going to add to that is most people, and Nelson always told me, if you put peanuts in, you're going to get peanuts out. And so- If we're, and most people want to put peanuts in to their policies, peanuts meaning, oh, I just want to put in maybe 3% of my income because that's what I was putting in my 401k. And that's what my match was. We don't want to beat Parkinson's law. And so if you're going to put peanuts in, that policy is not going to help you retire any more than an IRA is going to help you retire. And so we're going to need to use that money for opportunity to create more money to start more policies because then you're accumulating more money. But we think we have to get past this thought process that life insurance like or that, um, that peanuts is going to get us there, right? Because I feel like so many people think, well, I can just save my way into retirement like an IRA and I can do that with 3%. Well, when you run the numbers, Todd Langford in his Truth Concepts calculator, I don't know if you've seen his new, he has a new calculator called Future Requirements. And it's uh, it's fantastic because you can put inflation in there and it'll show you what you're going to need. Our millennials of today are going to need about $20 million to retire on a hundred grand a year. And so we have to figure out, you are you going to put peanuts in? Are you going to use that capital for opportunities that arise because exactly right. Like I thought Nelson, I really thought Nelson had lost his ever loving mind when he was like, Oh yeah, opportunities are going to arise. I'm like, no opportunities come when you know the right people, Nelson, it's not about the money. Well, guess what? When I have money, all of a sudden opportunities arise. And I'm like, (laughs) he was right. He was right. Right. But then I can just go to the I can just go to my policy for those opportunities. But when that when more money comes in, I have to put that more into policies. I don't just get to say, okay, it's one policy and done. It's a system of policies. So it's not I think the rate of return question is it's a legitimate question for people because they are concerned about that because that's all they know. But it has to be explained away. 
And the only people explaining it away are true IBC practitioners because everybody else will entertain that question and be like, oh, well, here's your rate of return. I, oh, yeah, I get a 6% dividend, then I get a 4% guaranteed interest rate. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's 10, right? And then it's always about this number is bigger than that number. No kidding. You know, you can look at numbers. And, and I got a 6% oh. dividend because I got charged 8% interest on my loans. Oh, my gosh. But what about <laughs> that time, you know, <clears throat> that you, uh, excuse me, you had uh, with Nelson on the way, you know, from the airport to your office? That was priceless, wasn't it? Looking mm-hmm. back now. Oh, yeah, 100%. We loved every second of Nelson. And then I had him, we had him at the house and we had um, lunch with him before he had to go back to the airport, which was really fun. Um, Because, you know, here's one thing that I don't think Nelson, I don't think he finished this book. But at that time, he said, I'm writing a book about how the Bible corresponds with money and how many he knew exactly how many references the bible had about money in it and he was writing a book at the time i don't know that he ever finished it but i I mean obviously not it's not he never published it before he passed but if he wasn't talking about ibc he was talking about the bible because number one was we're going to share jesus christ with everybody Right. Number two, we're going to get rid of the feds. (laughs) I felt like that was his order of everything he did in life. And that was important to him. It didn't matter who you were. He was sharing it. And it's funny because up here, that's not normal. In the South, that is a very normal conversation. Um, You know, when you have a presentation and you've gone uh, 10 hours over two days or eight hours over one day, and at the end, you know, and he talks about his brother, right? And you're going to pass the conversation. And yeah, um, he said, you know, we were talking about numbers and all this. And he said, always at the end, toward the end, he'd he'd be like, if you don't know where you're going, you know, that's the most important conversation we can have today. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's normal if you're at church down here, but it was, uh, not, I mean, I was shocked the first time I heard it. I'm like, man, this, this oh, man really? is old. Yeah. Oh, I mean, that's you're funny. a room full of strangers, right? You got 30 or 40 people in the room you've never met before, and you're saying this is the most important. If you don't know where you're going after this life, there's another conversation, and it'll be the most important conversation we have today. I was impressed, you know, but I'm just saying it may be more normal down here than up there. I mean, uh, yeah, I just think as I have shared Nelson's book. Early on when I shared Nelson's book with people, they were automatically up here. They automatically said there are Bible verses in there. I don't trust that man. Ooh, we, I got you. That is, that is, and I've listened. It's funny because I always watched, um, I used to watch Duck Dynasty a lot, you know, and Phil would go around and preach everywhere and do his stuff. And he's like, it's not the same in Minnesota. <laughs> Those those people don't come out by the droves to hear me. And it's just not it like we have a we have a trust factor. If you are quoting the Bible, yeah, you're probably not trustworthy. And so Listen, it's a very That's a live down here too, Mary Jo. That's really? a live down here. When somebody comes in, that's the first thing they start talking about. You know, my daddy taught me you put your hand on your wallet. See, that's not the way Nelson started out. He, you've already gotten to know Nelson. You know, you've already had lunch with him or whatever. Yeah. I mean, you know, that that's not the way he started mm-hmm. the conversation. Right. Um, but so I get it. But I mean, that that mad props for you northern people. You know, I mean, the eyebrow goes up whenever you start thumping real hard first out of the gate. Nah. Yeah, know. we are. Um, we just don't. We don't. There's not even a, oh, bless your heart. Like, <laughs> I don't care if it's a good bless. I don't care if it's a good bless your heart or a bad bless oh, your heart. Like, that just doesn't come out of our mouth. <laughs> that's that's funny. Bless your heart. When a southern lady tells you that, it's like you need to fix something. <laughs> I'm just. So I have I have one more question for you. What do you? How do you answer the question, or how do you feel about the? Hey, can the policy help with inflation? 
is that going to protect me against inflation? Because people are looking for that right now, right? I want something that's going to help protect me against inflation. Yeah. Yeah, it comes up. You know, I mean, look, we're all fighting the two major headwinds is taxes and inflation, right? I mean, my gosh, I think we taxes are just unbelievable. And then inflation, they're just getting warmed up right now. Here, this is January of 2023. Just give them a minute. All right. I I mean, oh, my gosh. So the short answer, I say yes. Right. Look, you look at what life insurance is. It's real property. Right. It's an appreciating property. It's private property. It's liquid. Right. I have access to it. Right. I can get mad and quit and withdraw, surrender, mm-hmm. or I can keep my you know, emotions in check and collateralize the cash value and continue to watch it grow as long as I'm being honest. Right. And paying the premium and making loan repayments. Um, it's going to be in short order, and I don't think it should be in the first year, the second year, the third year, the fourth year. I think that's the wrong place to start is when is the cash value increasing above your premium, right? It happens uh, sooner than you think. And when it does, isn't that, a, isn't that inflation, at least on a cash flow? If I'm mm-hmm. putting money in, that's cash flow in. If I'm borrowing money out, there's a cash flow out. Yes, I cannot discount the interest rate. Yes, I'm paying interest, right? And that's why you want a mutual company. So you, if you're the owner of the company, you're directly supporting the profitability of that company, therefore indirectly supporting the profitability of your policy. Mm-hmm. Now, man, what's wrong with that? And we didn't have to get above third grade math. Right. Mm -hmm. And so if I put a a million dollars into a policy over time and there's a 10 or 15 million dollar payout because there's a properly structured policy, the death benefit continues to grow. Will it will it solve inflation? Well, heck, no, it won't solve inflation. But what else? Where else are you going to put your money that's going to do that? Well, land. Okay, well, I can do the land, too, because life insurance is an and asset. Oh, wait, and I can profit from the land, too, just like the good farmer, the cattle rancher or whomever. You know, I can grow grass and profit from the land, right? Mm-hmm. And I can have the life insurance and the land right. and the cash flow. So, um, yes, the short answer, in my opinion, is yes, it is a hedge against inflation. Mm-hmm. It is. And I get silver and, and I get land. I like land. I'm, I'm a land guy. I love land. Uh, you know, and, and that's a conversation that I'm sure you had with Nelson, too, with the, the, the gold bugs. You know, it's like, well, if gold is such a hedge against inflation and it's so valuable, why are you going to trade me your gold for my worthless dollars? Right. Oh, I love when he said that the first time I was like. Well, he's got a point. Like if it if it really is that awesome, then why do you want my dollar? Right. You know, should we do I still want some? Yes. But do I think it's the answer to absolutely everything? No. How about I have both? How about I have the policy with the cash and I have the gold? Because so many people right now are saying our dollar is going to crash. The world is ending. And yes, I'm not sticking my head in the sand, James. Like I, I get what they're saying. But I remember being in grade school. And the world was ending and we were all going to be taken out by nuclear war. Like, I remember this, right? I mean, there I, I didn't were think videos. you were that old, Mary Jo. <laughs> I was traumatized by the movie. Uh, there was a movie yeah. that we, every Sunday, my, our family, every single Sunday, our family would get together with one of my mom and dad's friends and we would all go hang out. And they were watching a movie that probably I should not have been watching with them. But there was a gal that had like nuclear something all over her and she had to go through the shower and they were scraping her down with like metal brushes. And I'm like, I was traumatized thinking the world was ending. And here we are, you know, 30 years later and still talking about the world ending. And so as I may prepare for that, I am going to also prepare for the world to still be here (laughs) and for our dollar to still be here. Because why shouldn't I be doing both? It's not, it's not this or that. And so many people that think that, because I've had a lot of people in the Austrian world, in the libertarian world, were like, I don't want my money in life insurance because that cash isn't going to be worth anything. Well, how do we know that? Yeah. 
Yeah, I have a client. He's probably 90 years old now. He was an older gentleman, uh, you know, when he became a client, okay? Bill, he's now moved to California, living with his son. He had two boys, okay? And uh, he loved the idea of, you know, controlling the banking function and becoming your own banker. And he told me one time, he said, James, when I was a young man in 1964, I was watching a black and white TV in my living room and LBJ came on the TV. And he said, silver has become too valuable to use as money. Bill said, James, I knew right then there was something wrong. I've been buying silver ever since. All right. Mm. So, you know, when he graduates, and we're all going to graduate, right? Three of them got out alive, and me and you ain't going to be the fourth, and neither is Bill. So his boys are going to get all that silver that he's purchased, right? Well, he, uh-huh. he at, back then, he bought life insurance policies on each of his sons, faithfully has paid premiums, and he has financed his silver purchases from those policies. And so when he graduates, the ownership of those policies are going to transfer to his boys with all that silver, and he was going to buy the silver anyway. I mean, uh-huh. what's wrong with that? Right. Nothing. Right? Nothing. Protection against inflation. One extra step for that protection, for preparation, for, I mean, Nelson liked gold and silver as well. And so it's not, (laughs) you know, it's not because he had some, didn't he? Yeah, he, he, he writes a little bit about silver in his second book, Building a Warehouse of Wealth. And I read him. He was buying, he bought some silver when it was, uh, it was hitting. It got up to forty dollars an ounce, and he bought silver, right? And so now I don't know where silver trades now, but it 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 went from forty down to seventeen, sixteen, eighteen dollars. I don't know. Now it's come back up twenty, twenty two, three, wherever it is. I gave him a hard time about buying that silver because <laughs> I'm like, I'll I'll buy you out of it. But you know, he bought it, and he tells you about it in the book, Building Your Warehouse of Wealth. Right? He tells you that. He also. uh he liked land. He liked timberland, right? Because mm-hmm. he was a forester by education. And uh, he tells you how he leased him and some partners, leased some land for radio towers, right? Mm. And he said those radio towers had a cash flow every year. He said, you know, you got to go hide that gold you can't tell, or the silver. You can't tell anybody where it's at. And if you go buried in the ground, you know, you go dig it up next year and you won't find a cash flow. It'll just be the silver. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that uh well I, I won't speak for him you should you should buy his book building a warehouse <laughs> it's in there. but i, I sure enjoy giving him a hard time about it i'm just telling you so speaking about that book if you guys i don't have one on my desk um but if you guys do not have building your warehouse of wealth you can go to withoutthebank.com you can grab one there you can grab one on amazon um if you're James's client, call James and get one from him, whatever. I don't care where you get that book. But so many people have ignored Warehouse of Wealth and they're like, oh, it's BYOB because we as agents just talk a lot about BYOB. But I love Warehouse of Wealth because of the fact that there are no numbers in there. Absolutely zero numbers. And he just drives home the point that you need to warehouse your money somewhere. So why would you not do it in a system that you control? So if you are having a really hard time understanding the concept, grab that book. If you haven't already and you've been listening to this podcast, I don't know what's wrong with you, but go get it. Like It's just one more book to read. I already made you read mine. Why would you not read Nelson's? If you want to be a good student, get them all. Why are you stopping? So, you know, you, I, I agree with you. It, it's uh, you can go spend three hundred dollars. You know, you get Nelson's book, get your books, uh, get his. You know, Audible has becoming your own bankers on Audible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and buy a six and a half hour DVD or the digitally accessible six and a half hours. Um, yeah, I don't know three hundred three hundred fifty dollars tops with shipping and handling tops, and then you're going right to the source. You compare that with clicking on somebody's, you know, fifteen, fourteen ninety nine click funnel, but I'm going to discount it down to seven ninety nine, and, and then I'll discount that to three forty nine, and listen to a bunch of online videos. 
when they've not read any of Nelson's work. And so if you want to learn the infinite banking concept and how to become your own banker, it's okay to go to the source and look at those uh, available materials that, that are, you know, right there at the source. I'm just. Right. Yeah. I mean, it is a, it truly is. I think, you know, between your podcast and then I get on some rants once in a while, I try not to, but I get on some rants once in a while too about just finding a good agent and it is and, and understanding IBC. And it's because you and I see so much non IBC. We hear so much non IBC. And it's funny when you start talking to people who are like, Oh, I don't need to take a, I don't need to take an exam to be part of an NI. I don't need to be part of an NI. I don't need any of this stuff. But are you doing some, some guy messaged me the other day. He said, thanks for the books. I appreciate that. This is so great. I'm going to start, I'm going to start selling these in my practice. And I said, well, if you want to do right by your clients, I would suggest you get IBC certified. (laughs) Of course, I did not hear back. (laughs) If you're an agent listening, you probably don't want to tell me that unless you include, hey, where do I get certified at? Um, Because that speaks volumes, right? If you are a new agent and you want to get certified and you want to do it right, but we get passionate about it for a reason. It's not, I could give two craps about any losing any kind of commission. What I care about is the fact that you buy a policy and it's correct and that we are upholding what Nelson is talking about. And I talked about that a few years ago at Think Tank, that we are here because of Nelson, every last one of us, but not every last one of us got to spend as much time with Nelson as you did. So it is, it's, if you want this, if you want to teach it the correct way, Go to the people that that he taught to or the people that you are teaching, right? The agents that you're teaching, you're teaching them what you learned from Nelson. And so if we can pass that down, it's just that much better. I agree. I yeah. agree. I mean, you know, don't don't go spend time with people who don't know what they're talking about when it comes to infinite banking or becoming your own banker, but they can give a really good presentation and they look really good and you know, or whatever. I don't want to disparage them, yeah. but there, there's some excellent marketers out there in the big wide world. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm impressed. Mm-hmm. We get a phone call or an email or whatever, and somebody says, man, I'm ready to go. I'm like, well, what have you read or what have you watched? Oh, I watch a 30-minute video. I'm like, dang, I want to see that video. It must be that powerful to, to motivate you and to call. And, you know, it's like, but yeah, no, you can't. You've got to do this, this, and this. And But yeah. what kind of a, 30 minute presentation did you watch that makes you like ah so but some people are quick starts you know sure 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 sure. are you familiar with the colby score uh yeah i probably didn't score very high on it so no no it's a it's you goofball it's not a i am a quick start so i'd be like oh my god that's awesome let's do it and then i would do the research later you know because that's just my personality (laughs) And I tend, we attract who we are like, right? So I tend to attract those exact same people. And, you know, it can drive Jess and Tierra a little bit crazy. And I sent, in fact, I sent an email out uh, last week and I had three sentences in the email because I cannot stand reading long emails that are like marketing type emails, you know? So I sent this email out to my clients and instead of emailing Tierra, they emailed me and then they were like, well, who's calling on my account? I'm like, no, it was a mass email to everybody. So I had to send another email to clarify the first email. I'm like, they're all like me. They only read the first sentence. <laughs> so what Mary Jo is saying, when you send her an email, please make it as long as possible. <laughs> yeah, I've already talked about that. And I got an email the other day. I'm like, you guys, I love that you send emails, but some of them are long. And I'm like, I love that you send those, but I just do not have time to read all of that. And so I'm going to get all that information in our first meeting anyway. So someone sent me an email the other day. <laughs> right. I'm going to try to keep this as short as I can. 
Perfect. That's awesome. Fantastic. <laughs> I'm not going to pretend. I'm not going to pretend. I will skim it if it is too long. All right. I don't think we have, we are in this um, a little, well, not quite an hour, but pretty close. So I, do you have anything else that you would like to share? Um, no, I, I my encouragement is to vet this idea that you can become your own banker and give it a thorough vetting without a preconceived decision or idea because it's life insurance and just, you know, give becoming your own banker a thorough reading, get Mary Jo's books, a thorough reading and, and honestly vet it. You know, if, if it's not for you, perfect. You learn something, right? Mm -hmm. But I think if you will give it a thorough investigation, you might discover something that can change your life and your family's life for generations. So mm -hmm. that's my encouragement. Look um, at the infinite banking concept. Not all of the me too or the I improved Nelson's work or, you know, he discovered it, but I've made it better because of this, this or whatever. No, go to Nelson Nash, his two books, read Mary Jo's books and, you know, make a, decision whether it's good for you or or not that's my yeah. encouragement yeah make an educated decision and it's not like our books are long i mean mine are 99 pages nelson is about the same but it's just like some of his chapters are half a page so you can't even really qualify it as a big book but you know he wrote funny. that way on purpose mary joe did he ever tell you that mm -mm. He wrote that book and he modeled it after uh, Leonard E. Reed, the way he, Leonard E. Reed, his mentor, wrote his books. He wrote in a way where you could you could read a page or two or three and chew on it for a day or two. So, oh. yeah. Well, there I, you go, you guys. So read it. And then if you even go back to my older podcasts, I have a whole series of podcasts breaking down every chapter. So read it, listen to the podcast, and then chew on it, as Nelson said. I mean, he had, here's another thing. He had a 10-hour seminar for a purpose, and it was two days. He always did it in two days because he wanted you to go home the first night and think about stuff and be prepared for the second day. He purposely didn't do it in one day. Everything he did was on purpose because he had practice knowing that this is what people need. It's no different than when I have a meeting and I'm asking you to have your numbers ready. And then you guys, if you know, not you guys, but some of you listeners will come in and try to run my meeting. Yeah, that ain't happening. You aren't running my meeting. Because I have a specific way that I do it because I'm trying to get the information to help you. And so, yes, I want your numbers. Yes, I want all the numbers. You know, I had somebody come in last a couple of weeks ago, last week or week before, and he wasn't giving me the information. And I just stopped the meeting and said, I can't help you if you're not going to allow me to help you. I need these numbers. I'm not going to try to sell you something. I'm going to try to teach you something. Right. And that's all Nelson was, was a teacher. That's all infinite banking is, is teaching. It is not about the, the policy has to be sold to you because it's the tool. But at the end of the day, all it is, is teaching you. And it is a lifetime of teaching. It's not something where you're going to have, you're going to get everything you need in one time of meeting with James or I. That's just, not, that's not going to happen. We are always wanting to continue to teach you. And you as a client should always be willing to learn and want to learn because your bankers don't know everything overnight. You're not going to either. Okay, guys, that was my lecture for the day. Those of you listening, I had somebody tell me that the other day too. I said, oh, I'm sorry that all of these answers today have turned into lectures. And he said, oh, I expected it. I listened to your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, you guys just know what you're getting. It is what it is. All go. right. Thank you, James. I appreciate your time. Thank you, Mary Jo. Have a great day. I appreciate you. Okay. Okay. All right, guys. If you need me, you know where to find me, Mary Jo at withoutthebank.com. If you have not gotten the books, go to withoutthebank.com, grab your books. Obviously, we've talked about Warehouse of Wealth and Nelson's book is there. Just 
pick it up there. I don't care where you get it. Just educate yourself. Okay. Let me know if you need anything else. Have a good day. <laughs> awesome. Thank you for joining us on the Banking with Life podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe and click on that little notification bell. Otherwise, join us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher for weekly content.